that's this is that, but we hope that it's more than that this morning. We do almost everything a little differently, and uh, Daddy liked that. He really did. In fact, Patricia brought some breakfast this morning that if you just are starving, it's not unusual unless we're doing something to, to grab something out of the library. She made Dad's favorite. Uh, the only thing Dad would be displeased with that we're going to do today is we did not start on time. <laughs> <laughs> We're a typical charismatic church, and uh, we usually start late, and that was the only thing I can tell that he did not like about what we did. I want to tell you, it is okay to laugh. It's okay to smile today. It's okay to cry. Uh, we grieve. There, there's no way around that. We grieve when we lose someone. But the book of Thessalonians makes it really clear. We do not grieve like someone with no hope. There is a certainty this morning, and I hope you can feel it with us. The certainty is that Gary Kinchin is in the presence of God. Amen. Amen. holding his hands when he went to be with the Lord. My sister had her head on his chest. Fred Hammond was playing in the background of the well. We were asking the Lord to receive his spirit when he breathed his last. I've never, I've done a lot of funerals. I've been a pastor now for 15 years. I've done them for children. I've done them for all kinds of people. I've never been more certain any outcome in all of my life than that daddy is in the presence of God. And that, that's a reason to rejoice. Okay? So one of the first things we're going to do, I know it's unusual, uh, but I promised him I would do it, and I hope y'all will give me a little mercy for keeping my promises. We're going to worship. The songs uh, may seem a little bit random. They may not even all be in the same key. We picked the songs that he told us he liked the best. Is that fair enough? Amen. So sometimes during our worship service, people stand. Sometimes they sit. Sometimes they clap. There's no telling what may happen here. You're free to be just as excited as you would be at an LSU football game. During the actual worship part of this, there will be pictures that are strolling. They're going to pause up there for 20 seconds at a time. Uh, don't be worried that you'll miss a picture. Our whole service today is going to be based on that. When we see events in time, you get to share and relive an experience that you had with Daddy. So we're, we're, we're going to scroll lots of pictures. And uh, I just invite you to try to relax a little bit, let anxiety fall off of you. These are tense situations. And one thing that Daddy had a way of doing is making everybody feel comfortable. I never sat in a room with him where he let people feel like they were strangers. So... Don't mind if we open in prayer? Amen. Mighty God, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that our hope in you is sure. That our dead are really more like sleeping. They've become absent from the body and present with you. Lord, our hearts rest sure in this hope. Lord, it allows us to smile even as we grieve. I thank you, Lord, for the great cloud of witnesses that has gone before us, that spurs us on. Thank you that our friend, our daddy, our spouse, our loved one is a part of that great cloud now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. People will come in and out during the service. If you need to check on your children, that is okay. Uh, we have activities planned for them. Please don't worry about them. 
There is never an offering passed in this church, not at any time, and especially not today. There are two major causes in Daddy's life. One was support for Israel. I know that's a surprise to some of you. But if you want to support something that Dad did, and you put uh, an offering in the offering box to market Israel, and we will get it where it needs to go. The other one was Daddy was a builder of things. I see people here from VIP. He helped to build that organization. The people here from Parkview, he helped to build it. Well, he helped to build the preschool here, too. And uh, that's a love of his life. The last time that Daddy showed up for work anywhere was at LCMF Preschool. And I tell you, they loved him. I don't this year's going to be different, yeah. But uh, those of you who would like to, we're going to stand our feet. This very first song is called Going Up to the High Places. It might not be the time you're used to singing in church, but it happens here all of the time. And the young man who's going to lead it off, I adopted in our home the way Daddy adopted me and his. And Dad loved that. Amen. Amen. chance to come see him, know that he spent most of his time 
whether they were imagined wrongs or not, trying to make amends between you and him. The third thing that he told me was, don't knock anybody down. It is so easy during these difficult times to want to find places to blame, want to be upset. I just want to tell you we have one common enemy. His name is Satan. And his chief tool is death and sin. Those things will not hold your attention down. Amen. He will definitely rise. Amen. And that's worthy of an amen. Yeah. Amen. Dad was an impressive man. There were many accomplishments. There's no way around that. Sometimes when people think of him, they focus on those kind of accomplishments. Some people who knew him, maybe just a little bit superficially, focus solely on his football accomplishments. If you Google the name Gary Kinchin in LSU football, a book called The Greatest Moments in LSU Football History, show up with his picture and he's blocking a punt in the Orange Bowl. He's credited in that book with turning the tide of the game. What many people don't know is that Dad absolutely hated to sit and relive the glory days. In the privacy of our home, he refused to even talk about it. He saw it as immature. He was embarrassed by it. He was excited and happy to focus on other aspects of life. He's never ashamed of the things that he accomplished. He just thought that he had grown into so much more than an ex-jock. When I was 10 years old, I became kind of aware of the family I was being grafted into. I looked around and these, these are all men. Many of them have accomplished amazing things. And like any young boy, I began to have insecurities about that. Maybe one of my favorite quotes, and this is a verbatim quote. He looked at me at 10 years old and said, Son, I don't love athletics for all that I accomplished or was praised for or how good I was. I loved athletics for the times it showed me how weak I was. I remember every time I didn't want to line up against the guy across from me one more time. I remember every time I failed. It has taught me that I'm weak and need to depend upon Jesus. I personally have done my very best to adopt that same view. All of those accomplishments were useful tools to teach us something. Anything worthwhile comes from loving the Lord. And anything you accomplish outside of Him is really meaningless. Those words can be hard to hear, especially if you didn't see Dad as having any weaknesses. At funerals, we do that sometimes. We almost glorify a person. I want to assure you, he had weaknesses and he struggled with them every day, but he found in Christ the power to overcome them. What Dad valued most in this world was worshiping Jesus, that feeling when we sang about going into the Holy of Holies, that, that presence that you felt there for a moment. For some, it might feel awkward. For others, it might feel very familiar. He learned to live for that a little bit like a drug addict. He wanted to do it every day. When I went through Dad's belongings, I began looking for certain things. I couldn't help but notice almost everything that had to do with sports or memorabilia in that way. He'd given to somebody along the way. He knew everybody else valued it more than he did. You know what he did hang on to? 
two of his most prized possessions belonged to one of them, to Jacob Kinchin. He wanted his daddy's Bible after the funeral. And he loved it, and he looked through it, and read it. Gus, I'd like to give you your daddy's Bible today. These are the kind of things that my daddy valued. I found another one. As far as I can tell, this is his absolute oldest possession. <laughs> it was given to Dad on January 13, 1948. It was given to him by his daddy, his mother, and gay now. At seven years old, Daddy got a Bible and he kept it his entire life. Tell me you're his oldest daughter. I'd like you to have that. We're going to watch a video that celebrates Dad's life. It's humbly done. This little church grew out of a living room with a lot of encouragement. From people that we greatly looked up to, chief among them was my dad. I want to ask you to try to look beyond pictures of block punts and accomplishments from yesteryear. And remember that the message that Daddy preached In fact, the only message I know of he preached from a pulpit on a Sunday morning was called the fourth quarter. He said he prepared in athletics all of his life to be strong at the end. That he prayed that he would finish this life strong. Amen. Amen. Rabbi Rich, I noticed that you walked in in the back. I don't want to single you out, but I do want to tell you thank you difficult to understand if you've grown up in denominational settings all of your life. But Daddy had a revelation about Israel in the early part of 2000, really 2004. Chief among his revelations was that Israel's focus was on the resurrection of the dead. Not upon just going to heaven or getting rich or any other ridiculous thing that the church tends to preach. But a physical resurrection of the righteous and the wicked. I think it's the last subject I ever talked to him about. So thank you for that, Rabbi Rich. We're going to play this video now. Now that I know 
Who do you say I am? 
something and I'm reading from Papa's Bible one of the things that I just couldn't help but notice Daddy took to writing dates in his Bible dates that he read books for the first time then each time he came back around and read it and as best as I can tell Papa finished all of the Bible between 1996 and 1998 several times and uh, those were really powerful growth years in his life one of the things that I enjoyed best about him is as accomplished as he was, as respected, even revered as he is, 
Papa was a humble man. He's 56 years old when he asked me to baptize him. Who does that? But he wanted to make a public statement before the whole world that although he had always professed a love for Jesus, it was actually present in his walk in every way. And he wanted everybody to know that he was the superintendent of the largest private Baptist school in the state of Louisiana. But he was not too proud to be baptized outside of a little charismatic church in a swimming pool in a parking lot. What an amazing thing, huh? I'm going to read to you from Ephesians. And the reason I'm going to use Dad's Bible is I want to read you what he, he wrote next to it. It's pretty amazing. Uh, I'm going to be in the second chapter of Ephesians. If you prefer to listen along, that's fine. This is a memorial service. I will spare you my preaching today, but I am going to share with you Dad's preaching. In Ephesians 2, starting in the fourth verse. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace. Expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it's not from yourself. It's the gift of God. Not by works so that no man can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Daddy has written in black ink across that scripture, under it and above it. We do not work to earn a thing. We work because we are in love with Him. And His Spirit shows us what we must do. Daddy believed that when Romans said, as many as are led by God's Spirit or God's Son, that this was true. He believed that it was not enough to simply elevate a doctrine or a creed. It needed to show up in your life. Papa was definitely not perfect. And maybe that's what was so special about him as he realized it. Humbled himself and let the Word of God instruct him in his life. No matter how accomplished he looked on the outside. I think it's probably appropriate that we lighten the atmosphere just a little bit. There are some things you may not know about Daddy. Many of you do. But I think it's worth doing. I've been given strict instructions from all of the females in the family that I can only take this so far. But Daddy had some favorite movie clips. And... Uh, I think that I ought to show you those. Judah, turn those lights again. Dad was a major Clint Eastwood fan. The outlaw Josie Wales was literally played hundreds of times in our house. If you ever stopped by, it was likely that it was on. You a bounty hunter? Yeah, he's got to do something for a living these days. Diane ain't much of a living boy. 
You know, this isn't necessary. You can just ride on. moments in movies where somebody had a chance to walk away or endure the test. I don't think it's hard to tell that Papa always hoped he would endure the test. His second favorite movie clip. Themes of loyalty, friendship, they always moved Dad. Tombstone was a huge hit in our home. The relationship between Doc Holliday and White Earp was something that Dad admired. He talked about it. Uh, it was when I didn't know what else to do to make conversation at, at a, a lunch meeting. All I had to do was bring it up and the movie quotes started to go. This was his favorite scene. Well. I didn't think you had it in you. I'm your huckleberry. Johnny Ringo, you look like somebody just walked over your grave. Fight's not with you, Holiday. I beg to differ, sir. Again, Papa used this phrase all of the time, I'm your huckleberry. And what it meant is, even though you've given me a difficult task, I'm not going to walk away from it. I'm the guy that it'll fall on. Third favorite clip. Papa loved to laugh. Slapstick, bathroom humor. I never failed to do the trick with Dad. I won't tell you the ways that I amused him in the last 24 or 5 days in the hospital. But Papa's never been sick in, in a way that I left him in the hospital, ever. We spent every evening together, whether it was his heart surgery or his knee surgery or prostate cancer or any of those things. And we had some private things just between us that I won't be able to share with you. But the same things that made second grade boys laugh, that made my daddy laugh. Hi, the door's open. Come on upstairs. Hi. Hi. Hi, make yourself at home, okay? I'm almost ready. One minute. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Thank <laughs> you. 
All right, you know what happened next. Daddy thought it was hilarious. Those with more wisdom in the family than I currently possess asked that it be censored, and probably rightly so. Some other things that we might share about Papa is it was an annual tradition in our home to watch Chevy Chase's Christmas Vacation. Among his favorite scenes I couldn't show, uh, not because they're perverse or bad, it's just probably not appropriate to focus on characters like Uncle Eddie. <laughs> but I can hear from your laughter you too have seen these movies. <laughs> one of the scenes that he quoted all of the time was this one. And why is the carpet all wet, Todd? I don't know, Margo. I don't know, Margo. <laughs> if I ask Dad any question more than once, that's what he told me. I don't know, Margo. <laughs> I want to give you some Papa-isms. I printed these in your bulletin so you can take them home, but you don't need to look at them. I'm going to put them on the screen. Papa-isms, you need to understand your situation. So I will first present the situation and then the corresponding Papa-ism. When it's cold outside, it is as cold out here as a well digger's butt in Idaho. <laughs> to the best of my knowledge, and some of you guys from VIP might correct me, Pop's never been to Idaho. <laughs> Nor has he ever been in a well digging profession. But this was a very common uh, phrase. Second, if he had just eaten too much, Paul, Pop was not... Uh, not satisfied, not satiated, none of those words. I'm as full as a tick. Again, and the whole time I knew him, we never had a tick on a dog, we never saw a tick, but this was a part of his daily speech. Third, when in traffic, all fellow motorists, regardless of their behavior, we're mullet heads. <laughs> yeah, Lee guessed it. He's evidently ridden with that. Because <laughs> there, uh, there was one other word that he used that can be said from the pulpit, and it, it, it was pronounced in a very special way. It was moron. What, what, what is this moron doing? And whether the person didn't deserve that label, they shared the road. <laughs> when asked to do something you could have done yourself, you know, anything, doesn't matter. Sure, I'll do it. I'm in the state. <laughs> no idea why, but Pop liked to do that. And ironically, he had a perfect, the only manipulative thing I, I can ever honestly say I saw Gary Kenshin do he did with all the tact of a, a young child, so it made it cute rather than manipulative. And this is if he saw you passing the freezer or something, he would say, Todd, do you want some ice cream? Todd's playing cards in the other room. This meant, I see you're close to the ice cream, would you please bring something in? When waiting for any period longer than literally two seconds, Meanwhile, back at the ranch. Now, I don't know the etymology of this exact phrase, but I think it has something to do with some of the older shows where the narrator would switch between scenes, and while something was happening in one scene, they would say, meanwhile, 
back at the ranch. But I can tell you we heard that lots. I think Kelly said no line was worth it for anything. So don't think you're going to go to Disney World with Gary Kinchin. Regarding punctuality. If you're on time, you're late. Pop believed that 15 minutes early was on time. And he didn't just uh, expect that of himself. He expected it everywhere he went. Uh, he had a staff meeting at Parkview when he first started there. And among many shocked, shocked faces and surprises, there are glass doors to a conference room uh, where he held his first teacher's uh, conference meeting, you know, a staff meeting. Those who showed up one minute after the starting time showed up to a locked door that they were not allowed into. They conducted the meeting with teachers standing outside looking in. Reminds me of the Newsboys song. <laughs> On coffee choices, all you Louisiana people will like this. If it ain't community, it ain't coffee. Pop didn't particularly mind saying that in the line to Starbucks. <laughs> By the way, coffee was never a consolation for being late. Don't think you could be late and didn't show up with coffee and dad would think that was okay. If asked a question he didn't know the answer to repeatedly, I don't know, Margo. <laughs> if he did something nice for Pop, he never just said thank you. He looked at you in the eye and said thank you kindly. I don't know if there's an unkind thank you, but Pop saw the need to differentiate between the two. He had lots of things like that, by the way. There was a real debate in my household for many years. Is it water or water? Is it cabinet or cabinet? Is it Houston or Houston? These were all the subject of, we didn't ever debate theology in our home, but for whatever reason, diction and pronunciation was high on the list. When volunteering for anything, Pop would say, I'm your huckleberry. I wanted to share with you some of those things. But as we move forward from here, you can turn the light back on, Judah. I think maybe the last couple ways that we could speak to you something that would glorify Jesus in Papa is Daddy taught me what it was to experience adoption. The Bible says that theirs is the adoption as sons. It's speaking of the nation of Israel. It's in the ninth chapter of Romans. And what is difficult to understand 2,000 years this side of Yeshua's work is that there was one nation that was adopted as God's people, and it was not the United States. In fact, it was none of the other countries of the world. It was Israel. And yet, because of the Father's kindness, patience, love for mankind, he accepted those of us who were aliens and strangers to the covenants of God into the family of God. Pop lived that out in a very real way, but I thought the best way to show you some of this was to share a few key stories of interaction with Daddy. One is you have to understand that when he married my mother, of course, just like today, she's beautiful. And he was captivated by her. There's no question about that. What might have been less captivating were the two knotheads that came along with it. <laughs> my sister had a pension for rejection of authority. Um, only slightly surpassed by my own. 
I knew you would say, that's why I did. And so when he married her, I thought at nine years old, you know, I perused the situation and quickly deduced that we were baggage. That's what I thought. Uh, my friends told me my mom was hot. So I realized that men looked at her a certain way. And I thought that we were just baggage in this scenario. So one day I'm out beside the house, uh, down the street. It's a little house in Baton Rouge on a street called Fort Clark, where we lived for years. It was next to the driving range on a golf course. And at the end of our street was a couple. And I don't know the couple's last name. I know that the older gentleman's name was Calvin. And Calvin and his wife had reached that age in life that is inevitable for all human beings where you suddenly become fascinated with birds and bird feeders. I don't know why that happens, but it did. And they had a virtual shrine, an Avery shrine out there. And I had a BB gun. So I thought that this was kind of like, you know, deer feeders. And so I set up my spot out on the driving range behind a pine tree, just outside of Calvin. And every time the birds that God chose to paint red showed up, I shot one. I know, bad area. Beautiful cardinals. And I thought God painted them red because it was a target. What I didn't know was that Calvin and his wife were sitting on the porch <laughs> trying to figure out why every time a red bird showed up, it was dropping dead. <laughs> and much to my chagrin, when I walked over to pick up those dead birds, pillowcase in hand, great white hunter going to retrieve his trophies at nine years old, Calvin was upset. Calvin approached me, not knowing who I was. I was new in this whole family, whole area, whole thing. And he said, boy, I don't know who you are, but you better get out of here. I'm going to beat you with that gun, and if your daddy don't like it, I will wrap that gun around his neck. Now, when I was nine years old, Papa looked a lot like a silverback gorilla to me. <laughs> I had not yet come to a saving knowledge of our Lord. And I said, oh, I would very much like to see that. <laughs> and I began to egg it on. So Calvin got ready. Now, when I showed up to, to, to present this story to, to Papa, of course, I was completely innocent. And then I don't know where the dead birds came from. Uh, I was just walking along. And this man, this man wanted to hurt me. Well, he was new in the scenario, uh, was not used to the kind of manipulation that was being unleashed upon him, and he wanted to come down to defend his new son. So Papa shows up, and Calvin shows up, and I believe Calvin was finding out he was not the Huckleberry. And about the time I thought that there was going to be fisticuffs, Papa put his arm around Calvin's neck, pulled him close, in an awkward sort of way for two men who were... Uh, angry. So you don't understand. He's a good boy. He just needs a little attention. It's one of the first times in my life I remember somebody going to bat for me. What is worse, I knew I was absolutely guilty. And I knew that he knew I was guilty. See, the reason that we have terms like father and daddy and those kind of things to describe God 
is because your earthly father is supposed to be for you a picture of what the heavenly father is like. And the Bible teaches us that the father sees potential in you that you don't see. In the book of Judges, in the 6th chapter, the 11th and 12th verse, there is a man named Gideon and he is hiding in a threshing floor, right? Uh, it's a place where you're supposed to work with wine. And he's there threshing out grain. This is because a wine press had walls on it. And he could get in there and work with his grain and nobody else could see him. He was hiding. Most people would call that cowardice. An angel of the Lord showed up and said, the Lord says, mighty warrior. And then they began a conversation. See, daddy imitated his heavenly father. He saw potential in someone that truthfully was guilty. There was another time that we went water skiing in the Amy River. Uh, we had a lot of funny water skiing stories. Papa was 215 or 20 pounds during that time period in his life. and So 115 horsepower Johnson on a 21 foot boat took a long time to get him out of the water. <laughs> he was trying to teach me to slalom. I was probably 10. I couldn't figure out the kicking the ski thing. And every time we tried to take off off of the bank, he'd just rip my arms out of my sockets, you know. So Daddy, a life jacket, I don't know why, wades out there, boats ahead of us. I'm hanging onto the road, and he steadies me as I'm learning to water ski. It didn't occur to me at the time that he had to wait there. He had to swim in the center of a river until we made the four or five mile turn to come back. He was patient. Daddy was patient and self-sacrificing, just like his father. Second Peter 3.9 teaches us something. It says that God is not slow in fulfilling His promises, as some understand slowness. He's patient, wanting that all men come to Him. This is the desire of the Heavenly Father. He sees potential in us, and He's patient with us. If your view of the Father as of an angry God with a big stick. I'd like to invite you to look at him as Gary Kinchin displayed his attributes. Maybe one of the last things that I should share with you is Daddy was just. Not a perfect man, but he was just. And many of you know he was my high school principal. Daddy showed up, and I don't know, I think I was a sophomore. Might have been a junior. I do know that he said my graduating class was the worst in the school's history. <laughs> and Dad's second day on the job, I didn't know whether I was going to be big man on the campus or little man on the campus. I didn't know whether we would have nepotism and the spoil system at work or whether or not uh, I would no longer be allowed to get away with things that I was very used to doing. And we put it to the test. The second day, a young man named Seth Williamson and I got into a disagreement and Seth began ramming his face into my fist. And, uh, <laughs> remember how many times I pulled it back, uh, Seth pulled it forward. And there were these windows at Parkview in, in the second story that were elevated and they overlooked the parking lot. And as this event uh, ended, uh, I glanced up and Daddy was standing in those windows. That was a little bit of a problem. 
I was dad's first suspension. <laughs> he set the example with me. Frequently, he made me shave in the line at lunch as well. Uh, and I didn't understand why there was an unlimited supply of men's disposable razors with shaving cream at home, but at school, it was always a pink ladies leg razor dry. It's almost as if it was a punitive action. When we begin to look at these things and see that Papa saw potential in people, that he was patient with people, but that he was just, his overall character teaches us something about the Lord. He sees potential in us. He's patient. But in the end, he is just. The Apostle Paul stood before a group in Athens. A Jewish apostle learned in all the ways of God what restraint it must have taken. He looked around and said, man, I see that you're religious in every way. That was a nice way to say you're all idolaters. He let them know that God had appointed one man to judge the living and the dead. And he proved it by raising him from the dead. This is Acts the 17th chapter. I want to tell you that Papa died well. He got a chance to get on a plane and go to his hometown and say goodbye to close friends. Thank you for that. He got a chance to know that the end was coming. Have many of you come visit him in his hospital room. Towards the end, he got a chance to say, I have to face this enemy, but I'm going to choose the field in which I face it on. And he came to his living room. He had struggled with death right up to the end. There was no quit in the man. But in the end, this is a temporary situation for him. He will rise. There are two quotes that are written inside the cover of my dad's Bible. We're going to move on after this, but... I think I ought to share them with you. Forgive me, this is harder than I thought it might be. Papa has written in big bold letters near the table of contents. You must live the word before you are qualified to quote the word or recite it. This is good advice for all of you who are in love with the Lord. Papa wanted to display in his actions what he said was in his heart. The whole church world today says, oh, well, God knows my heart. The question is, do you know your own heart? Because with our mouth, we often make confession. But the reality is it's wishful thinking. Papa came to a gut-wrenching decision in his life. When everybody else says he was a good man, he saw himself as a monster, a sinner before God. He got on his knees and asked that the Lord would save him. And then believed that he did. And did not let those failings define his life. Instead, his weaknesses were turned to strength. And he stood for Jesus. Papa believed that the measure of a man was his level of submission to the Almighty God. Not his athletic accomplishments, his hunting, or his business prowess. Pop was an example to us all in that way. His favorite topic, though, was adoption. For reasons that I can't go into now, I'd like to tell you, Amy, how proud 
He was with you. He loved your children. Kelly, when he prayed with me, and your name came up, and it came up on a weekly basis, we talked about how big your heart is. Gus, what might not have seemed like a big deal to you was an amazing thing to him. Dad prayed about the time period in your life just before seminary. He loved the fire that he saw in you. He was excited about it. He mentioned each of those things during the last month of his life, but that's not enough. He mentioned them many times when we prayed. Daddy left a legacy. He accomplished an awful lot at places like VIP, Parkview, Brighton. Accomplished an awful lot in athletics as well. But those were not his major accomplishments. His major accomplishments were that he loved people. During his quality assurance program at VIP, and we did hear a lot about quality assurance in our life. We mostly heard nicknames of people we didn't really know that well at the time. Scrappy, Bubba, Boss. These were names that were kicked around at our table, kicked around in our prayer times. Pop was not as proud of a bottom line or a salary earned as he was the relationships that he had. In the end, those are the legacies that you want to leave. All of the rest, somebody else is going to get anyway. First, or the Gospel of John, the first chapter in the 12th verse, says, as many as who believed upon him, he gave the rights to become sons of God. The very first picture of Jesus that I ever saw really begins and ends with here. I knew that I did not belong to him. I was not his blood. You ever heard that phrase? This is my blood relative. What are you really trying to say? Well-meaning people say hurtful things sometimes. This is my blood relative. Do you love somebody less because you didn't come out of the same womb? Daddy had the capacity to be a lot like Jesus in this regard. He'd consider your family if you loved him. I want to tell you that the only way to make it into the family of God is to love Jesus like family. You can't date him. Pick him up twice a week. Use his name to raise money. Put on your best clothes and go to church like a prom game. If it's not more like a brother relationship or a spouse, where every day you're proud of it, every day you want the world to know you're connected, then you are probably not as much in family as you think you are already. God proved this among the nations. A true Jew is one who worships and inward among two men who are Jews. I wanted to play something for you that he wrote for me. I've had some burglaries <laughs> that stole computers from me, Bibles from me. And because of that, I don't have Dad's music. I recorded it all in Baton Rouge in 2005, brought it all back here and all of our copies and disappeared except one song. Maybe it's the hand of Providence. Okay, 
this song was given to uh, my wife and I on December the 10th, 2005, when my son informed me that he had uh, lost his job and um, he's a faithful servant of uh, Jesus Christ as a church. And uh, uh, our hearts uh, immediately bled and uh, the words that are in this song was just pure uh, emotion from the heart and how we felt about our son and how we prayed that day uh, throughout the day to uh, have Jesus uh, give him strength and uh, through what he is going to go through and um, I love him dearly and this is for him and for his mother especially okay I have witnessed that God's words are true and my son is my son not by blood but through God's grace when he calls me Papa so proud of my beautiful son when his mother brought him into this world she heard the voice of Jesus say he will be a servant of mine today we recorded daddy's testimony we recorded his thoughts about all kind of things 
that we could find that song and no other. I want to tell you, friends, you don't have that kind of love for people that don't belong to you unless you were once alienated from God and have been brought near. And once that happens, those of you who stand in Christ, how dare us alienate anyone else? There's not a man or woman here that is anything by their own merit. If there was, Gary Kinson would have surpassed you all. Whatever we are, we are by the mercy and power of God. I am so thankful for the example he said. Daddy didn't just feel this way about me. He didn't just feel this way about Michelle, Amy, or Kelly. I mean, he loved us. But the neat thing is, hundreds and hundreds of responses have come into our Facebook from people, my whole graduating class, everyone, my closest friends, the board of our church, pastors in six states, most of whom Daddy knew since they were 14 or 15 and has been that kind of influence in their life. The first person this ministry ever baptized fell in love with Harry Kinchin. What a surprise. She is today a pastor's wife in Arkansas in the Vineyard Church. We didn't ask her to do anything. She read the same thing that you guys read. But she sent us something. And I want to show it to you. This was the first song that Daddy ever wrote. We don't have him singing it. But we have somebody completely unrelated to him that only knew him as our dad, our mom's husband. And listen to what she says. Hi, my name is Mandy Dime, and I've tried to record this message like 20 times now. My friend Gary Kinchin went to be with Jesus this week. And I feel like today the Lord wants me to honor Gary by singing a song that Gary wrote. Not able to be at the funeral, but I want to celebrate the life of Gary Kinchin because he impacted my life for the kingdom of God. I've had some awesome times with Gary, playing guitar and singing and worshiping Jesus. He has always encouraged me to do that and to not give up. And so I feel like I'm supposed to sing a song called Who Am I that Gary wrote. It's the last song I remember playing with Gary. And this song asks, who am I and what am I doing here? And Gary's answer was, I'm a child of God, just trying to do his will. In the second verse, Gary asks, who are you and what are you doing here? And he said, when you meet his Lord, you'll become a child of God just trying to do his will. And I believe the best way to honor Gary today is to ask that question, are you a child of God? Because that's what Gary would want. So I'm going to sing this song. I love my LCMF family. And I love the Kinchins and the Callahans. just want you guys to know how much I love you. And I hope that this would just bring joy to Gary's heart to know that his song has impacted my life and I pray that it would impact others. Who 
Yes, those questions have been answered for me since I met my Lord. Now I'm a child of God, just trying to do His will. Now I'm a child of God, just trying to do His will. His Holy Spirit helps me along the way who are you who are you what are you doing here who God be the glory, and I love every one of you guys at LCMS and Gary Kinchin, and I praise Jesus for his name. Amen. Can y'all say amen? Amen. We could go on indefinitely about things that we admired about Papa. I'd like to tell you that the very best way you could honor his life is to follow the Apostle Paul's words and live a life that is worthy of the high calling of God on your life. We're going to meet at a graveside in Tomball, Texas, those of you who are able to make it. And on that day, at that time, we planned body that was sown perishable. He'll be raised imperishable. And the way that you know that is not what people call the good confession. It was not church attendance. It was not doctrinal affiliation. It was because there was fruit on the tree. And you didn't have to ask what kind of tree I want to encourage you saints to live a life that makes a difference. Love people. See potential in them. 
be patient with them. I want to encourage you with such a novel idea that the kingdom is born when man loves someone else more than he loves himself. And that that starts inside of you and needs to become something that envelops your whole life. Gary believed that. He lived that. With all my heart, I want to follow the example he set before me as he followed Jesus, the example before him. Y'all stand on your feet. We will pray. And I wanted to tell you that rather than a post-funeral gathering where everybody crowds into one house and we've all brought dishes and those kind of things, we would like to suggest some restaurants in the area. One thing that Houston is full of is restaurants. And that you might share lunch with somebody. Let your conversation be about the things that you heard here today. And I hope you don't focus on misspoken words or maybe a picture choice. But the more weighty matters. The shirt that I wear most often says, Please don't make your pastor lie at your funeral. I was able to be honest here today. is for certain, despite all of our advancements in medicine, one day this will be done for every person in this room, young or old, rich or poor. What would they say about your life? Mighty God, Lord, we thank you. You are benevolent and compassionate. Lord, you are patient and strong. We thank you for your mercies poured out upon us this day. We thank you for the life that you authored and perfected in Gary Kinchin. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of the living now. That his body is fallen, but his spirit is present with you. Lord, we long for our uniting with both of you. We thank you that the Lord Jesus will return. And those who have fallen asleep in him will return with him. And we will have a family reunion. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, God's people said, Amen. Amen. Friends, we're dismissed here. You're welcome to find a, uh, a restaurant in the area. We're going to meet in Tomball at 3. That service will probably be 30 minutes. Uh, we want to focus on what happens at the resurrection, not what is happening this moment. Amen? Amen. Amen.